Today's scripture comes from Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 through 11, and Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32. Genesis chapter 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah, likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that this, that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, it's good to be back here with you all. Uh, I am not lying when we say we really missed you. Uh, this is, makes our heart grow fonder, and really, um, it, it's, we look forward to this day. Around the sixth week, I said to Kathy, I'm ready to go back. Why is it so long? Um, but I thank God for the rest. Uh, it was, I'll share more about it at the fellowship hall. Just wanted to give you a little mini sabbatical report and any Q&A you have. And um, as we gathered together this morning, uh, let's, would you join me in a word of prayer and as I'm recovering from COVID and my mind uh, is, is, is a little foggy, pray that God would make his word clear. Let's pray. Lord, these are your words. With trembling, may I be able to present your words in your light with the intention that you desire. Encourage us and edify us. May we receive and hear not only in our knowledge but in our souls may we be transformed by it may we be challenged as we are we witness the power of forgiveness that you have given to us that we may be those who walk in your ways may your spirit rest and holy spirit may you illuminate for us your scriptures in jesus name we pray amen being back in california if you want to go to a good chicken Sandwich place you go to, right, you don't go to Chuck E. Cheese. If you want good sushi, you go to wherever you go to. You don't go to Joe's 
uh, gas station convenience store and easy, easy pass. You go to a nice restaurant near the shore. And so it made me think, what is something that if people were to come to church that we would be known for? If people were to say, I want to go to church and see what they're good at, what would that be? It could be many things. But today I want to implore to you, one of the things that we should be known for in theory is we are great forgivers. That the church is filled with people who are expert forgivers. Now why is that? Because if at the core of what we believe and hold is that God has given us his sinless one and only son to die on the cross for the sins of sinners like you and me, to allow us to get back to God, allow us to be made new creation, allow us to have a relationship restored with God because we're forgiven, should we not be those who walk away from that as forgivers? And so Jesus says this in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. It's embedded into the teachings that Jesus says, love your enemies. And he actually says, bless those who persecute you. And so embedded in the core of the church DNA, it's not that we're just nice people. We are people who have this superpower to forgive those who have offended and hurt us. How? By the power of God who forgave us. There's a story of two monks, one a senior monk and a junior monk, and they're walking along the countryside, and they stumble upon an old woman right at the edge of a river. She says, sirs, can you help me cross the river? They're not supposed to, you know, kind of interact, but there was an older woman, and they thought she needed help, so they linked hands, and they carried her across the river. A few minutes later, the younger monk says, look at my clothes. It's all dirty and wet. My back's hurting. Another minute later passes by. Why does she have to walk on the river anyway? Why couldn't she go around the riverbed and get to the bridge? third minute later, he's like, my back's still hurting. So the older monk says to her, says to him, you know, I dropped off that woman five miles ago, and you're still carrying her. You know, when we don't forgive, we are still carrying the weight of something that happened in the past. And so Lewis Smeads, this is a book that one of the books I read, he wrote a book called Forgive and Forget, and he's famously quoted as saying this one sentence. And let me see, do I have the, oh, I left the remote there. Uh, next slide. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was who? You. Thank you. Isn't that amazing? Why do we forgive? It's not for the people who offended us. It's selfish, and it's okay. It's for you. You're still carrying the weight and the burden of somebody who offended you. And here's the crazy part. Those people have long been gone. They don't even think about you probably, but you're still replaying it in your head. You're still repeating this, holding on to this. And so Lewis Smedes brilliantly writes, to forgive is to set a prisoner free. And when you do, you discover that the prisoner was you. So we don't pity those who have been hurt, but the pity really comes when those who are hurt carry this for the rest of their lives. So 
I want to approach this for adults uh, in a different direction. You know, I realized we don't model things well for our younger generation. Uh, and what I mean by that is we talk about forgiveness, we talk about generosity, but as a parent, I realized, man, I fail this so often. How am I doing with modeling the things that Christ has taught us? Like, for example, as a dad, do I show and practice and model forgiving those who have offended me at home? Or do we grumble during dinner time? And so this is real. We want to be able to not only know it, but to practice it. And so a lot of us think, I don't have a problem with that. But just to keep things in mind, avoidance is not forgiveness. That's kind of sweeping it under the rug. Discounting the hurt or excusing the person, well, he was crazy anyway. That's not forgiveness. That's avoidance. Um, pain has to be acknowledged. And if you saw the movie Inside Out, that cartoon, like we got to have sadness and grief to understand back to joy again. you got to understand pain in order to acknowledge that there was a there was a painful moment. I acknowledge this. And only then are we able to forgive. And so the question today is, what if churches were really good at this? What if churches were really good at forgive, forgiving? In reality, we have a lot of opportunities to do this because people sitting next to you, they're going to be sinning. <laughs> and sometimes we're going to bump into each other. And so the with that reality, I want to turn to Genesis 33, and this is one of my favorite stories. For some reason, during the sabbatical, Jacob and Esau kept running through my mind. I have no idea. Uh, fascinating story. Maybe it's because I have an older brother. Uh, how many of you have brothers? How many of you have an older brother? Okay. Yeah, so I have an older brother. Um, Jacob and Esau were twins. Uh, they were born to Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac, remember, is the son of Abraham. And son of the promise, and Isaac is old, and he has two sons. They're twins. Uh, Esau is born first, and he's so hairy. Hair is covering him. They called him Esau, which means hairy. Um, so that's how I know he's not Korean, and that's how I know he's probably, you know, just Middle Eastern. And then grabbing his heel, coming out of the womb is Jacob. That's wild. So they literally name him Heel Grabber. That's Jacob. But it has a double meaning because Jacob also means deceiver, supplanter. And so these two are born and true to life. They live according to their names. And as they grow older, you see a red flag. And this is the famous, uh, if you ever become a parent or if you're a parent, this is the no-no. Isaac loved Esau because Esau brought wild game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. That's a red flag. When you have favorites and you really embellish that, you're going to create problems. So as Jacob and Esau grew up, the famous story is that Jacob deceived Esau twice. One was really not a deceit, but it's close. So the story goes, Esau came back from hunting and he was starving. And so he saw Jacob cooking stew and says, hey, can you give me some? I'm about to starve to death. And Jacob says, what? First, give me your birthright, your firstborn son birthright. And Esau foolishly says, what good is my birthright if I'm starving to death? Take it, whatever you want. So for a bowl of lentil soup and bread, 
he gives up his birthright to Jacob. Now, I don't know what the actual transaction means or the contract, but that's symbolic because it said Esau, the scriptures say, despised his birthright. It was a foreshadowing of something that's to come. A few days later, uh, years later, Isaac is getting old, and Isaac can't see. So Isaac says, Esau, I want to give you my firstborn blessing. Now, here's the crazy part. His wife, Rebecca, overhears Isaac saying that. So what does she do? Jacob, come here. I want you to receive the blessing. So here's what we're going to do. My blind husband, we're going to fool him <laughs> by covering you with fur so he thinks you're Esau, and you'll get the blessing. Now, that's pretty bad parenting. <laughs> uh, that's something that you should, we should acknowledge that the early saints of our Old Testament, they were not perfect. Isaac was not the best father. I don't think he would be prominent as someone who modeled great parenting. But this is how God uses imperfect people for his pur purposes. And so they fool Isaac. I, Jacob goes in. Jacob steals the blessing because dad says, oh, this must be Esau. You, you smell like outdoor animal. You're hairy. And so this is what happens. Esau comes back in, and in Genesis uh, 27, it says, Esau cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me also, O my father. But, he's, but Isaac said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, deceiver? For he has cheated me these two times. And listen, look at this. Esau ends. This is the last time they interact. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will never talk to my brother again. No. He says what? I'm going to kill him. That's serious. Esau was grieved. He was hurt. He got robbed. Jacob tricked his own dad I mean, this family's a mess. And so Jacob runs away. Now, Lewis Smead says that there are three kinds of hurts that usually you and I get. And so think about the hurts that you had in the past. I'm not trying to bring up um, old wounds, but maybe for God to minister to us. There are three kinds of hurts. One is personal hurt, right? Some people, if you're, someone insults your wife, you're like, oh, I'm angry. But you're not personally hurt by that. Like you're you're hurt because someone attacked your family. What he's talking about is you're personally attacked. Um, there's an there's a intention to hurt you. Second, there's an unfairness to it. And then third, there's a depth to it. It's deep. Betrayal, disloyalty, brutality. And so Esau was hurt. Now, how do you expect Esau to respond? Time passes by. And so when we do this, I want to ask you this. When you've been hurt, you have a question to ask. You know what that question is? If you've ever been hurt and you're carrying this baggage with you for 80 years or five years or one year and you have this grievance in your heart, you have one question to ask. And this is this question. Do you want to heal or do you want to continue carrying the suffering? Simple question. Anyone that gets hurt has to ask, answer this question. 
Do you want to continue on suffering and misery, or do you want to heal? I think that's a fantastic question. Because what's the alternative? You live in this misery and resentment. Harvard Institute did a study, and they found out that forgiveness actually does physiological and emotional benefit. People who, who forgive are less likely to be depressed, less resentful, more proactive, happier, fuller in life, and they have less physiological problems. That's a fact. That's not even a spiritual thing. It's not a Christian thing. It's just the reality of medical science. And so a lot of us, we carry things, and God doesn't want that for us. And so do we want to heal, or do you want to continue carrying? And so as we go on, if you're still stuck in resentment, Lewis Smees is right. You know who's imprisoned? Not the person who hurt you. You are still in prison. So Genesis 33, we get, we get back to Esau. And then decades go by. Jacob's now married. Long story. We'll talk about that some other time. God says, go back home. And Jacob is bringing his family and all his being. And Jacob is frightened out of his mind. The night before he meets Esau, the famous wrestling with God. By the way, Jacob finally realizes that all of my life and gains are purely the grace of God. I can't steal it. I can't manipulate it. God, you're the only one that could give me my worth and prize. And Jacob finally gets it. And by the way, that's why God gave him a new name. Did you know that? After God wrestled with Jacob, he says, you will no longer be Jacob. You will be called Israel. And so Jacob finally gets a new identity, puts his faith in God. He is a new man. And then the night before Jacob meets Esau, it says Jacob wrongly assumed that Esau was, going, was still fuming and wanted to kill him. And then it reads this. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming with 400 men. By the way, that's scary, isn't it? Uh, 400 men walking towards you? Not, not even children, not even puppies, it's 400 men. So Jacob is like thinking, oh, I'm toast. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel, his two wives and two female servants, and he put the servants and their children in the front. Then Leah with her children, Rachel and Joseph last of all, he himself went on before them, bowing himself on the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And then we get this. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. I am just as shocked as you. What does that remind you of, by the way? Kind of like the prodigal son, isn't it? Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. Let me be your servant. But the father ran to him, kissed him, hugged him, put his robe and ring on him, and said, go kill the fattened calf. It's a story of, for whatever reason, we don't even get the text, Esau has forgiven Jacob. Now, why and how did Jacob how did Esau forgive Jacob? And that's a trick question because the Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us Esau's side. But I want to share with you a few clues why I think Esau forgave Jacob. First is, why did Jacob go back home? God told him to. God has a plan. I want to give you this land. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make descendants out of you shining like the stars. I'm carrying the covenant that I gave Abraham and Isaac now to you. So God was already working on Jacob. 
That means God was already working on Esau. Now, friends, what we have to pray for is this, that whenever there is a grievance and broken relationship, we're praying, God, you need to intervene here. God, I need you to soften my heart. God, I need you to pray. I want to pray for them who hurt me. This is why God, Jesus says, forgive and bless those who hurt you. Not because you like it, but because the greatest way to change the enemy is to pray for them. And so Jacob went back because God was doing something in this moment. Second, Esau was able to forgive because of some things he did not do. What were some things Esau did not do? He did not let hatred define and consume his soul. Do you guys remember plasma TVs? Remember when they first came out? We have like nice LED OLED TVs. Plasma TVs had a flaw. You know what the flaw was? If you leave an image on the screen for a long time, it burns through the screen and leaves a permanent mark. That's why plasmas kind of did not win an LED one. And that visual is when we hate so much, it not only burns within us, it consumes us, and as Lewis Smith writes, he did not become his hatred. Hatred did not own him. We get owned by hatred when we don't forgive. And so what else Esau didn't do was he didn't let Jacob control his life. He took hold of what he could, and he was able to control the areas that his... Esau did not let ego contain his hurt. You know, some people say this, I'm strong, you'll see, I'll overcome this. Uh, the, person, the person doesn't deserve my attention. So it sounds right and noble, but it's really out of your ego. It's not forgiveness. Or we say things like, I don't need them in my life. I confess, I use that one a lot. So what do we do? What do we call this culture? We call it cancel culture. How many of you have heard of that? You know what cancel culture is? We just ghost them. We ignore them, and we think we're mature. Is that forgiveness? And the church said, no, that's, that's arrogance. That's ego. Sometimes God wants us to enter into it. So Esau did not rage, and he did not use ego. But something else happened here. Jacob bowed down seven times before he met Esau. Jacob knew his sins. He acknowledged it, and I think Esau saw that. So, here is, how do you know that true forgiveness has occurred? And this is where we want to get to, friends. This is where we want to be as gospel people who love Christ, who have been saved by Christ, who struggle with sinners. How do you know true forgiveness has occurred? Healing finally begins. And the relationship is restored. When two people reconcile, something happens right away. One is the past now can stay in the past so that you can make a new path to the future. But the most important thing is Esau, do you notice he didn't care about the property? What did he care about? He cared about the relationship he has with Jacob. Imagine being a community. So I was thinking about our church. Imagine being a community where we set this as a core value, that this is a place where we are not perfect people. Uh, I love doing this. Raise your hand if you're perfect. That's all five of you. Three, everyone. Raise your hand if you haven't sinned even this morning. <laughs> and so we're a community that 
we, we don't act like we're better than the people. We acknowledge we're sinners, saved only by the grace of Jesus Christ who forgives sinners. And because of that, we are great and open and honest at declaring we sin and we forgive one another. Why do we do this? This is the life and the body of Christ until Christ comes back and makes us completely perfect. So Apostle Paul says it this way. Let's all read this together. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The difference here is not just simply forgive. Just let bygones be bygones. Just forgive them. No, it goes deeper. Because God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us, you can forgive others. Now, here's the thing. You know, Esau was a jerk. God did not bless Esau. Esau married a bunch of women that his parents were displeased with. Esau was flippant with God. Esau is not the hero of today's story. But what's the point here? If Esau, a sinner living in rebellion, can forgive Jacob, and then you have the Son of God who is sinless, who is able to forgive you and me, do we not have the opportunity as those who have been washed clean by Jesus Christ to forgive anyone? Now, a little asterisk here. These are past grievances, the grudges you're holding. If you're living in a relationship where your husband is beating you with a stick every day, God doesn't say forgive him. You need to stop that injustice. (laughs) You need to flee, and that needs to stop. This is about a lot of us who carry that baggage, and you're wondering, why am I still remembering this from when I was in childhood? This is where God is saying, give it to me. As I forgive you, you can have the power to forgive. Give it to me. And so forgiveness brings about a relationship change. And so why a church is great is this. It's not the great potlucks we have together. Uh, It's the fact that we have broken and healed relationships. And where that broken bone is healed is usually strongest in the same way our relationships, when we are able to forgive one another, becomes powerful. It binds us. It allows us to say we are not a community because we're good people, but we are a community because we're forgiving and forgiven people. Amen? And this is all because Christ Jesus has done this for us. What if CPCLM could be a place that models this? What would it look like? What if our community modeled that, hey, I may not like you, but I will not hold you in judgment and condemnation. Here's my hurt, and I want to choose to say I forgive you because God has forgiven me in Christ Jesus. Who do you need to forgive? And I pray that this would sit in you in discomfort and let the Holy Spirit reveal to you the grudges you've been holding. Why do I share this? During the sabbatical, I realized I had a lot more resentment that I was holding on to than I realized. And during this fast past 11 weeks, God was showing this to me. 
And then I said, why am I carrying the baggage of things that I don't need to carry? And so I said, God, would you help me? And God introduced this book to me, and this book really helped. And then God brought it together. Friends, it is freeing to be able to give forgiveness and to let it go in the hands of God. This is God's desire for his children. This is God's desire for you. Let's pray. Lord, how good it is when brothers and sisters fellowship and unity in you. And even in the rocky times, these are opportunities to practice faith and grace. God, I thank you that when the world says a church is full of hypocrites and imperfect people, we say amen because that's who we are. Uh, we're new creations, but we are not sinless. We continue on. But may we strive in that to cling to the cross, to cling to the sinless God who forgave us and to walk in his steps and to be those who humbly learn to acknowledge hurts and then forgive. God, may this church be a robust community where we not only proclaim the good news through our words, but we proclaim it through our actions, especially in the moments of fractures. Heal us and minister to those right now, Lord God, that you may be revealing to them the burdens and baggages in their hearts that by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the promises and trust in you that they would be able to offer all these things to you. Thank you for your love for us. You are such a great God. We pray these things in your son's most holy name. Amen.